0: It's good to be here, it is good to gather, it is good to uh, join with the people of God. I have one announcement, uh, which is a pretty important announcement uh, for this week. Next week, time changes. We get an extra hour, As if we needed anything extra in 2020. We get an extra hour next week. So please remember, if you still have clocks at home that have to be changed by hand, they do need to be set back one hour before you go to bed um, Saturday night. So... Um, please remember that. Are there any other announcements today? If not, our call to worship comes from the book of Psalms. It is Psalm 71, beginning in verse 14. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign God. I will proclaim your righteousness and yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You who have done great things, who, O God, is like you. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, uh, since our youth you have taught us, you have guided us, you have protected us, and you have led us to worship you. And Lord, we are here today to do that very thing you have called us into your presence today from from wherever we find ourselves in life, in our lives you have called us out of those places to enter this place, a place of rest, a place of peace, a place of worship so that we might worship you. Lord, remind us why we are here and remind us that you are here with us And, and hear our worship and may you be honored and glorified by it. Lord, we do worship you by the reading of your word and also by the praying of that prayer that you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, As we have read from Psalm 71, we now have an opportunity to sing from it, so please take that green book there before you, Bible songs, and turn to Bible song number 151, The Aged Christian's Prayer. I will remind us that uh, as we sing, we do so in a talking voice, and, and that is to protect uh, but we are also called to worship God through singing so let us stand and sing hymn or bible song 151 the aged christian's prayer Please be seated. Please bow your heads and join with me as I read our prayer of confession. O Lord, our God, help us and heal us. We are stubborn, blind people who repeatedly and willfully stray away from you. Like children who don't want their parents to hold their hands while walking through a dangerous city. We will not stay near you. In our blindness, even our ability to confess has been distorted. Some of us are emotionally unaffected by the fact that we are helpless sinners without your mercy, indifferent to the cost of our rebellion. We speak words of confession out of principle, out of duty, or out of habit, but rarely out of deep awareness of our need and helpless state. Others of us are so undone by our habitual falls into sin that we can barely look up to you for help. Lost in the anxiety of our unbelief, we speak words of confession out of fear, out of desperation, out of hopelessness, but seldom out of confidence that you love us and have invited us into blessedness of repentance and forgiveness. Yet Christ has recognized our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our souls This blood that speaks righteousness for us gives us confidence to confess our failures to you today, where we have failed to approach you with honest, sincere and confident words. Christ stands in our place, laying before you his heart in truth and passion with no sin or mixed motives. As he hung on the cross, tortured for our iniquities, the sorrows that were rightfully ours were given to him in fullest measure Your steadfast love surrounds us because your steadfast love was taken away from him. What a precious, atoning, and ransoming love. Loving Father, create in us clean hearts that are truly broken for our remaining struggles with sin, yet utterly confident that your love is more than enough to reach the foulest sinner who trusts in you. Give us this trust in great abundance, Lord, as we continue to wrestle through this earthly journey. Help us to sing now with confidence that Jesus truly is our only boast. And when he returns to take his ransomed children home, let us sing anew. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from Lamentations chapter 3. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great. Is your faithfulness? Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter fifty-two. We'll read beginning in verse thirteen. This is a reminder of the work that has done and been done on our behalf to provide for us the forgiveness of sins. My reminder of your assurance of pardon has nothing to do with my ability to forgive your sins, but it's just a reminder of everything that God has done through Jesus, to do that for you. And we were reminded of that here in this passage. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own ways and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away and who can speak of his descendants for he was cut off from the land of the living By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. We are commanded by God to give to his work, to tithe as an act of worship. We have a basket here, a plate on the way out the back door, and also you can mail in your tithes and offerings if you so choose. God and Father above, we praise you for all that you have given to us. We praise you for the provisions that you have given to us. And we praise you for an opportunity to worship by giving you of these tithes and these offerings. Lord, first and foremost, may you be glorified by what we give. And then may you take it and use it, multiply it so that the glories of your gospel might be proclaimed both here and around the world to those who are needy and lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your maroon hymnal there, the hymn book, and turn to number 240, Holy Spirit, Truth Divine. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to have Christ's work applied to us. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit for our daily walk. And so it was good to be reminded of the third person of the Trinity. So let us remain standing and sing hymn 240, Holy Spirit, Truth Divine. be seated. God has graced us with the revelation of truth, and he has graced us with the church that has summarized that truth for us in the Apostles' Creed, which is found in your bulletin. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. As we come to our time of prayer, do we have any updates today? No, we prayed. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Two Sundays a day, we did go to Greensboro, and we
1: had a very, very nice, considering circumstances, beautiful, short time with RD and Valley. And uh, I think it did him good. Good. We had uh, We sat in my mom's garage, spaced properly, and uh, that was a very good time. She is 91. Mm. Well, actually, I'm sorry. She just turned on the TV. Oh. wow. So, but uh, so Monday morning after we visited with Artie, he had another bad stroke. Mm. He rallied
0: again, and he's back home. So he's just a miracle. Well. And, uh, we thank you every day that the Lord gives him something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Uh, Betty Vance got a report back on her pancreas and everything is still the same as it was before. No changes. So we praise God for that. And Jennifer's blood work came back um, clear as well. So we praise God for that. Any other updates? Well,
1: Ethan went in to start his <laughs> stuff tomorrow, and he said he went from drill to geo He's doing well, huh? Good. he's doing well.
0: Um, Hannah gets her pins out from her elbow this week, so we pray that that goes smoothly. Anything else? Oh, I did ask for prayer for Synod last week. I got there and back safely, and we have begun the process of fixing the problems in the retirement fund. We've probably got about another five years of work in that before the work is complete, um, but we have at least begun the process, so... Um, Please be continuing to pray for that as well. Well, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we remember the words of Isaiah. Where through him you promise your people comfort, comfort my people. Let them know that the payment for their sin has been given. Let them know that if they rest in me, they will mount up with strength and with vigor, and with energy. We're reminded that it is the servant of the Lord that we read about today, later on in Isaiah's book, who has provided for us the means by which our sins are punished, and forgiveness is offered. And so, Lord, we look to you for that comfort, for that strength, but oftentimes we show up like the bruised reed, or the smoldering wick, And we are thankful that your servant is one who will deal gently with the bruised reed that he will not break, with the smoldering wick that he will not snuff out. He will deal gently with us as he comes in faithfulness to bring justice, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness. We thank you that he was not discouraged as he was on this earth, that he was not distracted From his goal of glorifying you, of satisfying your will and your justice and offering us grace. We thank you that we have the hope of his law, that we have the joy of our salvation and the knowledge that we are your children who have access to the rest, to the light burden and to the easy yoke. But Lord, we are still oftentimes bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Sometimes we are bruised and battered by a culture that is at war with itself over political ideologies, over sin and goodness, over the definition of justice, over the definition of who we are as humans. Lord, sometimes we come to you weary because of the tension around us over our election. Sometimes we come to you as smoldering wicks because of a pandemic. But Lord, we are buoyed and lifted up by the promise that your good servant Your suffering servant, your faithful servant, deals gently and tenderly with us. It doesn't feel like it at times, but we know that he does deal gently, tenderly, and faithfully with us as he has offered us salvation, as he has offered us rest, as he has offered us a light burden and an easy yoke. So Lord, remind us of the love that is given to us when we come to you bruised and battered. Remind us of the rest that is ours when we approach your throne, weak and weary, stretched out by the difficulties of this world. And remind us that we have a far better city. We are called to be good citizens here, but we have a far better city, a far better hope to which we are traveling as we walk this weary and dusty land. What do we think of the weariness of illness? We think of Artie and just the the grace that you have given to him. We know that he is still in need of healing, that he is still in need of your comfort, that he is still in need of your presence. We think of Jean and the blessings of 92 years that you have given to her but knowing that she still needs the God who is glorified through the aged to be there with her, offering her the comfort and vigor that comes through the future hope. We thank you for Betty and for a good report for her. and We ask that you would continue to strengthen her and to lift her up. We thank you that Ethan is now beginning the next phase of his training and ask that you continue to strengthen and comfort him. We lift up Nathan in Charlottesville as he is seeking to plant your church and you have been prosperous. You have prospered the work there of the gospel and we ask that you continue to do so. Continue to strengthen him and his family. We think of Mitchell at Fort Jackson and ask that you continue to guide him and strengthen him for his ministry as an army chaplain. I pray for the leaders of this church, Strengthen them for the work ahead. Strengthen them for the road ahead. Whatever you bring to us, make us ready for it. I pray for our fellow ARP ministers and churches around the world. Ask that you give them strength and comfort and protection. I pray for our political leaders. Raise them above the fray. Show them your path toward law and justice. And remind them that they will be held to account for how they have ruled in your place. Remind us that we will be held to account for how we treat those who disagree with us when it comes to political ideologies. And help us to discourse with love and grace. Lord, we love you. We are only able to do that because of the suffering servant. And we thank you once again that he is gentle with his people. We thank you once again that he offers us rest, that he offers us a light yoke and an easy burden. Help us to see it. Help us to live that. Help us to know that we are your children. I pray all this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me, if you will, please take up your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Today is Reformation Sunday, and so we're going to take a brief break from the book of Proverbs and look to uh, Paul's words to the Romans in Romans chapter 3. As you're turning there, I just want to touch on something I spoke about last week as we were still in Proverbs talked a little bit about shame last week and I neglected to finish that particular point and I just wanted to take a few moments to do so. Talked a little bit about shame that God uses. We consider it guilt, but God uses our shame, our guilt against sin to to drive us toward repentance, to drive us toward confession, to drive us toward sanctification. He uses it as a tool to expose our sinful hearts, to expose the areas where we fall short and then begin to Um, uh, work through that process of sanctification as guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But what I neglected to remind us is that sometimes Satan can take that godly shame, that godly guilt, and he can twist it. And he can do so in two ways. The first is he can take the shame that God gives us for our own sin and so magnify it that he convinces us that we are worms. Unworthy of God's grace and and unable to be saved. By God's grace. Which is a pretty proud statement. But Satan twists it to make us feel like we have no reason to repent. We have no reason to confess. And that is not true. Nothing we do is so deeply depraved that the grace of God cannot cover it. And no matter how defeated we feel, God's truth is there that he will forgive and restore those who repent and confess. The second way that Satan twists shame is the shame that is often inflicted upon us for other people's sins. This usually shows itself in the realm of abuse, where the abuser goes to the abused and says, well, if you weren't so X, Y, or Z, I wouldn't do what I do it's demonic, it's from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. This transference of shame grows feelings of worthlessness, it grows feelings of despair, it grows feelings of an inability to be loved even by God. The cross meets both of these shames. Especially for the one who has shame for their own sins, The cross offers you forgiveness. And especially for those who have shame for the sins of others against them, the cross reminds us that there is glory on the other side as Jesus took not only our sin, but the sins of those who literally, physically abused him. Took them to the cross. And rose victorious on the other side. The cross offers us the answer to all shame. Our own shame and the shame that others seek to heap upon us. So I just wanted to clarify that before we started today. And it actually does lead us into what we're going to talk about today. So please read with me as we read from the book of Romans, beginning in verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let us pray. To the great God and Father above, we do worship you because you are the God who is just and the God who justifies. Lord, as we look to this reality today as expressed here by Paul in Romans and also expressed throughout the scriptures in Exodus, in the Psalms, in the prophets, we ask that you open our eyes to see your glories, that you open our ears to hear the joyful news that you are the one who is just and the one who justifies through the work of Jesus. Lord, remind us of your grace as you convict us. Remind us of our status as your children, as we consider our lives and the grace that has been given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, 19, in 1917, in 1517, Martin Luther walked to the door of the church that he served in Wittenberg, and he, and he nailed a document to that door. The document we now know as the 95 Theses, although in the original Latin, it had a much longer name, so I thank God for summaries. These 95 statements in this document were designed to, sus- to start a discussion in the church around, centered around the nature of forgiveness and repentance. Throughout the history of the church up until this point, with a few minor exceptions, the church had developed a theology that taught that righteousness was poured into us at our baptism, And we had a duty before God to hold on to that righteousness to the best of our ability through living a life that conformed to God's law. As they realized that that was a near impossibility to hold on to the righteousness that is given to us by God, they developed a system of what they called sacraments, a system of penance, a system of confession, a system of being able to re-grab the righteousness that we lose naturally throughout daily life. And Martin Luther became a, a monk, a minister in this system and struggled greatly. It is said that he would oftentimes spend several hours in the confessional, only to turn around 10 or 15 minutes after having left to realize he either forgot something or had already sinned again to spend another several hours. The the abbot or whoever was in charge of the monastery finally had to put a time limit on Martin Luther so he would not spend all day in the confessional. As he considered this, as he considered the nature of repentance, as he considered the nature of righteousness, as he, as he studied to teach the students there in Wittenberg, he became more and more convinced and convicted that there was something wrong with the system. And so he posted these 95 theses centered around repentance, which sparked the Reformation. That, as well as a couple other things, the technology of the printing press, The willingness of somebody to basically steal those 95 theses, translate them into German, have them printed and disseminated around the country within a year, sparked what we know as the Reformation. So today we are going to look at the fact that God is both judge and savior and to see how the atonement secures our justification in light of who God is. So first, God is our judge and savior. If you have your Bibles, please take a moment to turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, Moses has led through God's powerful work. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt across the Red Sea into to uh, the base of Mount Sinai. He is up on the mount. He has already come down with the law, um, has... Seen the Israelites worshiping the golden calves and thrown down the law, broken it, and then also stood as an intercessor between God and the people of Israel. He has reascended the mountain and is speaking to God and asked to see God's glory. And beginning in verse 5 of chapter 34 of Exodus, we hear these words Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation. Moses had asked God for a greater revelation of who he was, and he got it here. As God expounded upon that covenantal name, the Lord or Yahweh, the name that he gave to Moses in Exodus 3 when he says, tell the Israelites that my name is I am or I will be who I will be. God expounds and expands upon that name to say not only am I the covenant God of Israel, but I am the God who judges sin and I am the God who forgives sin. Now, we live in an era where we are graced with open knowledge to the scriptures. Many of us have grown up in the church and we know the end of the story that Moses did not see. But for Moses, these two concepts that God is at the same time the God who judges sin and the God who forgives sin seem to be apparently contradictory. God in his sovereignty at creation declared that there was a certain punishment for sin. And since humanity sinned, he activated that punishment against humanity and that sin is death. Not just physical death, which we will all experience unless Jesus returns, hopefully riding a refrigerator sized asteroid on November 2nd. Sorry, I don't mean to be sacrilegious. All of us will face physical death, but there is also a second death which must be faced, which is that eternal punishment that comes from God because of our sins. Paul says this as Jesus is, or God is the one who is just. When God says he must punish sin in a certain way, he must punish sin in a certain way. There is no way while still being God, while still maintaining his righteousness, his holiness, his truthfulness, his wisdom, his justice, that he can just let sin pass. So we get the second half of what Paul or what Moses records for us that God said that he will punish the guilty. But what is contradictory to us or to God's nature, apparently, is that he will have compassion and forgive sin. How can the God who is just, how can the God who promises death for sin, how can he have compassion on sinners? That's the big question as we read this verse that we should consider. And the answer comes in two parts. It comes in atonement and it comes in justification. First atonement at the end of the book of Exodus, the Israelites have built the tabernacle. God gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle and he said, "Okay, build this so that I might dwell among you. He even arranged the tribes around the tabernacle in a very specific way, but there's a problem with that as well. We know from the history of Israel that they did nothing but grumble, complain, and rebel against God almost from the moment they left Egypt to this moment and even for the next 40, 100, 200, up to over 1,000 years. But God says, I am holy, I am just, I am righteous, I am perfect. I am infinite. I am eternal. And I'm going to live in the middle of a bunch of unholy, sinful, unfaithful, unrighteous, finite sinners. God's holiness is said to consume the sinner. Confronted with God's holiness, Isaiah said, woe is me, which basically means may I be disintegrated as I stand here, kneel here in the presence of the holiness. And so we have a problem at the end of Exodus in that Moses is unable to enter the tent of meeting because God's presence dwells there. And so God provides a means by which a holy God may live in the midst of an unholy people. It's the sacrificial system. It's the, the purity laws. It's the, the civil laws that he gives to the Israelites all wrapped up together that point to our inability to, to be clean, to be holy, to be righteous before God on our own. And then the sacrificial system that shows us the means by which we may be holy. And and it all hinges, as much as we struggle with reading all the laws and the details in Leviticus, it's important for us to understand that everything in Leviticus, everything in the Torah, everything in the first five books of the Bible hinges on Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. In short, what happened on that day was a A a bull was slaughtered, was, was offered up in order to purify the priests so that they could then choose two goats. One of the goats had the sins of the Israelites confessed over it and then was drug out and abandoned in the wilderness. The other goat was sacrificed. The blood was shed of this goat so that the Israelites' sins might be cleansed, might be atoned for. The goats stood in as substitutes for the nation of Israel to take the punishment upon themselves so that a holy God could live in the midst of an unholy people. But there's a problem with that, is there not? Because if we have a day of atonement today, we have to do it again tomorrow. Tomorrow. Now, God was gracious to them. He only had them do the Day of Atonement once every year. But there were other sacrifices that would be given throughout the year for sin, for thanksgiving, for purification, for cleansing. As we realized under the weight of this law, trying to keep not only the Ten Commandments, but the purity laws and the sacrificial system and the fact that if I accidentally bent down to pick up a garden implement in the garden and accidentally touched an animal that had died near there, I was ritually impure and unable to enter God's presence. Whether intentional sin or accidental contact with unclean things, I was unclean before God and could only be made clean through a cleansing or through a sacrifice. And that pointed forward to a time when Jesus came. And that's, this, is, this is important for us to understand because it, it, it helps us bridge this gap between the God who is just and, as Paul said, the God who is the justifier, the God who punishes sin, and the God who forgives sin. Just as those goats took upon themselves the sin and the punishment of the people, Jesus was led outside the city to the cross to where for the sins of those whom God had chosen, for the sins of those who were faithful to God in embracing the salvation offered, God took our sins and not only confessed them over Jesus, but actually placed them on Jesus at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. My sin, your sin, The sins of all the redeemed were imputed to Jesus. They weren't His. They were ours. Remember, God has to punish sin. And so He took ours and He imputed them. He placed them on Jesus on the cross and punished sin so that He could then pour grace out upon us to forgive sin. Just as our sins were imputed to Jesus, his righteousness, his perfect record, his cleanliness, keeping all the laws, all the purity laws, all the moral laws, all the sacrificial laws, every jot and tittle of the law, having kept it and earned for himself the promise of life. Took death, took punishment, took God's justice so that we might have salvation and have his righteousness imputed to us. Now, this is a legal righteousness, and it gets to the next step in the process to where we, we can then merge these two supposedly competing truths that God is the one who must punish sin and God is the one who forgives sin, and we call it justification. It's a legal act that says that our legal standing before God is defined by righteousness. Now, justification is a law court term, but not a law court like we think about. We think about innocence and guilt, and there are times when in our law court system, based on technicalities, based on different presentations or interpretations of the law, you can declare a guilty person innocent. In our courtroom, it's different than what I'm talking about here because in the courtroom which we're talking about here is the heavenly courtroom. The judge is the perfect judge. He not only wrote the law, he is the law. And he will look at us. And he will look at our record, which in the presence of the holy God, we will willingly confess to absolutely everything that we have done. We won't need witnesses, although there will be one there accusing us for everything we have done because he knows us far better than we know ourselves. Not infinitely. Only God has infinite knowledge. But We will confess to everything that we will do and God will either punish or forgive. And he has that option to forgive or to declare righteous because of the work of Jesus. There will be no guilty people declared innocent on that day. I take that back. There will be guilty people declared innocent, but only through the work of Jesus. Without faith, there will be no guilty people declared innocent. Forgive me for that slip right there. Without the work of Jesus, there will be no guilty people declared innocent. Without embracing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no guilty people declared innocent. But the joy is that in that heavenly law court, those who embrace the message that Jesus has provided atonement for his people, they will be declared righteous before God. Now, we still do the work of sanctification. This is a legal righteousness. The idea of moral righteousness and the process of sanctification is a sermon for another day. Actually, it's a sermon for almost every Sunday. But this is the reality that Luther was struck with. Having grown up being taught that righteousness was poured into him and that he could lose it, he lost all hope as he understood what the scriptures teach about our heart. We cannot hold on to righteousness on our own. So he took this and saw the teaching that was in the Bible and had been in the Bible for generations, that you do have a just God who is a justifier at the same time. And that can only be true through the work of Jesus. So we see that God is judge and Savior, and he is able to be both at the same time through justification and through atonement. The interesting thing is, if you read Luther's writings, if you listen to some of the speeches he gave, it was probably two to three years after he nailed those 95 theses to the door that he actually came to a saving knowledge of what we just talked about. And the big question is, so what? Isn't this just a theological discussion for some 16th century monk and a couple 16th century pastors and Isn't it just something that lends its name to our church? Well, it it was a discussion between a 16th century monk and a bunch of 16th century pastors, and it is something that led to a process that lent its name to our denomination and to our church. But it's far more than that. It's far more than that because it's your hope, your only hope. And my only hope before the God who judges sin. As I mentioned, each and every one of us will stand before God and we will willingly confess every shortcoming, every thing that makes us fall short of the glory of God, willingly, because we will know at that moment that there's nothing we can hide. And our only hope will be the lamb that was slain. The only one who can open the seals in Revelation 6. That will be our only hope as we stand there before God. His righteousness is the only means by which God will be able to say, welcome and well done. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins is our only hope to hear God say, you are my child. But it's more than just your hope and my hope. It's their hope as well. Regardless of what you think about the statistics, there are people dying today. Even if we didn't have a pandemic, that statement would be true. But the problem is many of these people do not have access to things that people in the future did. Because as a pastor, it used to be I could be called to the hospital to come talk with or to pray with somebody who was dying. For the most part, I don't have that option anymore. Which means it's going to sound harsh means that your neighbors, your family, your friends, my neighbors, my family, my friends are going to the hospital without an opportunity to hear this message. That is their only hope. Now, I know God can work in mysterious ways. Don't want to deny that. There are nurses, there are doctors there who will violate contracts, who will violate their rules of employment in order to share the gospel. I realize that. I understand that. But how many opportunities have I missed to share this message with people who may enter a hospital for the last time? This is not just a theological discussion. This is not just a a bunch of scholars and professors sitting around thinking big words that they can use To sell dictionaries. This is life. This is hope. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for Martin Luther and for the other men that we don't know their names that you raised up to come to very similar conclusions around the same time that he did. We think of people who came before him like Jan Hus, Wycliffe. People came after him like Calvin and Beza. People that stand in pulpits today and proclaim the truth of atonement and justification through the cross. Make each and every one of us bold for that. Help each and every one of us understand that these are not just concepts, but the atonement and justification is life. And it is life eternal. Drive that truth of our hope so deeply into us that we cannot help but proclaim it. Regardless of the response, help us to be so inflamed and so captured by the truth of our salvation that it bubbles out of us and we are helpless to stop it. Help us to glorify you. Help us to worship you. Help us to realize how much has been given for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book, the maroon book there before you, hymn number 315. From thee all skill and science flow. Skill and science are wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge of the world, knowledge of ourselves, knowledge of life, and all of those things come from God. So let us take the hymn book, turn to 315, and stand and sing, From Thee All Skill and Science Flow. As you go this week, carry this blessing upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray with the saints. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.